It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello everyone, I hope that you're all doing well. This week, we have three stories that I think you'll really enjoy. So, without further ado, let's get into it, as we drift further into Mr. Creep's mind. If you see a strange smoke trail in the woods, do not follow it. Written by A.K. Colored In For those involved in dealing with cryptids, if any of you are reading this, why do you do it? Other than the money, of course, I feel a lot of you do it for the rush, the adrenaline. But where is the line drawn? Where does exhilaration evolve into panic? <laughs> Don't get me wrong, a little risk-taking is food for the soul, but so many factors can go wrong in any situation. In particular, what do you do when you find the corpse of a cryptid that you were hunting, eviscerated and dismembered? When the abrupt realization hits you that there's a bigger fish. My grandpa wasn't quite on the level of monster hunting, but boy was he a crazy son of a gun. Once he hunted a grizzly using nothing but a crossbow, wet mud and leaves, and his wet. He's had its head mounted above his forest house fireplace ever since. I can't say how far back his love for the wilderness is rooted, but I know that he grew tired of the city long before retiring from his job as a metropolitan engineer. Since then, he's lived out in an old house in the northwestern reaches of the Olympic National Forest, about 40 miles from the park itself, Washington State. I can only imagine how lonely it must have been living out there by himself, but he never seemed any the worse for it. In recent years, I have come to be good friends with a guy that I met in college, Martin. I could see the same fire in his eyes as my grandpa's when it came to the outdoors, always pestering me to come with on camping trips, going fishing, hunting, you name it. It was a no-brainer bringing him along for a visit to my grandpa's. Honestly, I feared that they might get along too well, and Martin would never return with me. In the end, it didn't matter because both of us have been ingrained with a morbid aversion to the woods since that day. Martin was particularly eager this time, practically vibrating in the passenger of my jeep. Last trip, Grandpa promised that he would show him the robes of skinning and pelts. Martin often went on about how he'd feel sitting in front of a roaring fireplace with a great deerskin rug laid out beneath it. My motivation was simply to check up on my grandpa. He hadn't been responding to my attempts at contacting him for the past week, so naturally I was a bit worried. And we ran into a problem early, driving up the long dirt road to my grandpa's. Rounding a corner, I slammed on the brakes, seeing a slew of fallen trees lying across the road. Dang, what happened here? 
Martin exclaimed. There haven't been any storms recently, right? I sat with my hands, the ten and two on the steering wheel, lost for words. Uh, no, it's been pretty clear weather around these parts since March. Weird. Shutting the engine off, I hopped out of the jeep. The only sounds were the leaves, filtering in the mid-spring breeze, nature's white noise. And we were a little over two miles away from the house and easily walkable distance. Grandpa had enough equipment that we didn't need to bring much of our own, so our bags were light. I had my phone, a flashlight, water, spare clothes, and my utility watch strapped around my wrist. My plan was to get up to Grandpa's and come back down in his truck to chop up the fallen logs with a chainsaw. We thought that it would be more fun to go through the woods alongside the track. A long dirt road means only boredom after all. We scrambled down the left side slope and began our track, keeping an eye on the road to follow its route. Only a few minutes later, the smell hit us. Putrid carrion. It was nothing unexpected. Animals in the forest die all the time. Even so, that hardwired part of my brain was repulsed at the smell. Something's festering out here, I said. Can't imagine how it would smell in the summer. Martin let out a small ratch, but agreed. The stench only grew stronger as we went on. It was at its peak when I almost tripped over a sharp object in the ground. I thought it to be a cluster of branches at first, but the notion quickly dissolved upon seeing their pale, ceramic reflections. A decapitated stag's head lay right in front of us. It was wrong, though. The teeth were too long and the bone of its face was exposed. Even with the odor, I could tell that it was fresh from the viscous black blood that seeped from its neck and mouth. Martin spoke up. That's freaky. You think a bear did this? I mean, there's only black bears here, right? I doubt they could pull off something like this. A cougar, maybe, I don't know. Never seen one straight up decapitate a stag like this, though. My eyes were drawn to a trail of blood, forming a jagged streak ahead of us on the ground. My gaze followed it until it terminated at these stag's grisly mess of a body. Well, it looked quadrupedal from a distance, but as we moved closer, I found myself sorely incorrect. The body was that of a monster, large in stature but bony and gaunt. Long razor-sharp claws lying splayed across the ground like kitchen knives and all covered in patches of dark, wizened fur. Is it bad? Martin called out, approaching from behind me to get a look. When he saw it, he went still and quiet as I had. There was no statement that could do the sight justice. I had heard the old tales of the horrors lurking deep inside the forest, but never experienced them face to face. It was still laying dead as the fallen leaves beneath it, it looked crushed and broken, littered with what seemed to be wide and deep puncture wounds. Martin managed to speak up. Is that... But before he could say any more, a sudden snap broke the tension. The snap of a twig, no, a branch. My spine shot straight upright. Against my better judgment, I found my head gradually swiveling in the direction the noise had come from. 
and when I caught a vast, hulking shape in my peripheral, I whipped around to face whatever was there. I saw something just for a moment. Enormous long limbs draped in shaggy hair, the color of pine bark. But as quickly as I had turned, the image had vanished. Rising dread threatened to pry my lips apart in a scream. I looked far and wide, but nothing was there. Kel, what is it? Wait, the cougar isn't still here, is it? Martin whispered. No, it's nothing. Let's keep going. We can talk about this later with my grandpa. But the cat could still be loitering around somewhere. It's best that we don't stay in the same place for too long. Before departing, I snapped a few pictures of the mangled corpse on my phone, zooming in on the head without backtracking to get a better angle. Something told me that turning back, however briefly, would be a terrible mistake. We went on with urgent pace, pretending to ignore the heavy movements between the trees nearby. Large animals will inevitably give away their movements, but they snap twigs and not entire branches. Even so, the movements sounded anything but clumsy. No, they sounded calculated, those of a stalking predator. As hard as I tried to filter them out, I caught myself glancing to these sides and behind very often. I don't know whether I was hoping to see something or nothing. Still, the woods around us were empty other than ourselves. Hey Cal, if there's a mountain lion around here, we should go up onto the road for a bit. It'll be easier to bolt if we need to. I agreed and we veered off to the right, climbing up the roadside slope. Deep down I knew that whatever was out there, it wasn't a big cat. We only told ourselves that skirting the subject of monsters now made very real to us. The forest fell silent as we walked along the road. That was far from being comforting though. If the woods are quiet, predators are about. It's a well-known idea in the community of wilderness enthusiasts. What did ease my mind to a degree was the sight of a herd of deer standing in the track. They cocked their heads to look at us but didn't seem all too disturbed by our presence. At the same time, a feeling of being exposed, vulnerable, grew as a hard lump in my gut. They started to move on as we got closer, wandering off the road and into the woods. One of the deer stayed in place. It wasn't frozen, no, but constricted. It twitched and whimpered as it started to rise off of the ground, as if weightless. It happened so quickly, its screams were cut off as its limbs were snapped and crushed, and deep wounds erupted over its body. And then, like it had been there the whole time, it stood. It was a nightmare, huge, unimaginably so, rivaling two elephants stacked up. It was hunched over, resting on impossibly long and thick forelimbs, ending in spindly, sloth-like claws. Its body was long too, ending in a pair of shorter legs, knees inverted with feet supported by spur-like appendages. The lulling head that sat atop an arched neck looked like some bizarre cross between a horse and a crocodile. Hollow pits in place of eyes, the torn skin around its mouth revealing horribly uneven and misshapen teeth that jutted out at irregular angles. The fading sunlight glinted off of the long gashes covering its sides and head. The dead creature from earlier had definitely put up a fight. 
but it could never have been enough. As we stood, a stunned, it reciprocated our stare, the only real movements being the sets of rib-like appendages undulating on its underside, rendering the deer into a torn sack of flesh and bone fragments. The poor animal seemed to wither before our eyes as these sharp ribs forced deeper into its body, like a juice box having the last drop sucked out of it. In that moment, we were a part of the herd, paralyzed. Some had already run off, but others were as statues in the presence of this beast. Another smell hit us then, different from the stench of decay like earlier, but equally as sickening. Like moist earth, sulfur, methane, and dead fish, its source was clear. As gas from the beast's mouth became thick, billowing fumes rising into the evening sky. The tension was broken with the deer's mutilated husk thudding to the ground. The remaining deer took flight, scampering off into the trees and, in response, the beast snapped its head in their direction. Something was wrong with its head, flopping around clumsily as it turned. I took a step back as it let out a deep and guttural rattle, before bounding off after the herd, its matted hair swinging violently. It splintered a tree as it went, but was totally unfazed by the impact. And we waited until its thundering gallops faded into the quickly darkening night before saying anything. What, what the heck was that thing? Martin sputtered, tears welling up in his eyes. I don't know, man, but we have to get to the house before sundown. I have a feeling our chances at escaping it are little to none in the dark. Are you crazy? We have to go back. I want to get as far away from this place as... What about my grandpa? We can't just leave him here with that thing. Martin didn't look over to me but wasted no time disagreeing, starting his jog up the road. We were already halfway to my grandpa's house and even if we wanted to escape, it would be a menial task for the creature to smash the jeep off-road. The solitary light in the distance looked like the gates of heaven. It radiated safety, but I knew that we couldn't continue out in the open completely exposed. I looked down to my utility watch, making a mental note of the direction of the house, north-northeast, before grabbing Martin by the arm and leading him off the left side of the road. Nature's cruel irony manifested in the steepening terrain and the thickening brush. The house's light quickly faded, leaving us with only our bearings to navigate. I thought that we might have gone off track for a terrifying moment, but I saw the column of smoke above the distant tree canopy that could only be from my grandpa's chimney. Come on, this way. As we neared, no light became apparent. Maybe he had already gone to bed. I could only guess with his lack of communication. We came up onto the lip of a hill sloping down towards a flat clearing, but there was no house. There, the pillar of smoke, but there was no source. It began in midair from nothing. As we stopped to look, the point where the smoke came from jerked around in the air. When I picked up on the organic stench, it clicked in my mind. Just like before, there it was, looking directly at us, the thick fumes spewing from its mouth. But I noticed something else this time. Now that the moon hung in the sky, its light glinted off of something beneath the creature's head, 
Six black orbs, as shiny like obsidian, three on either side of its neck. They darted about, independent of each other, and I knew immediately what they were. Eyes. What kind of abomination was this? If those were its eyes and it ate the deer with that structure resembling a ribcage, then that must mean that it had a false head. A distraction, defense mechanism maybe. It made sense how this head flopped around limply with the beast's unnatural movements. I blinked in quick succession and I looked down to my watch. Due east. We had been misled. It had circled around us to lie in wait. In one motion, I gripped onto Martin's shoulder and pulled him in the direction that we were meant to be heading in a wild sprint for survival. The beast erupted into movement, ribs rippling as it let out another rumbling trill. Martin looked over to me, confused. Hey dude, what are you doing? There's nothing the... Shut up and just run as fast as you can. Now don't stop for anything. Our pounding feet were matched by heavy thumps and loud cracks of trees being smashed. I dared not steal a glance behind, fearing that even the slightest break in pace would mean death. There. I struggled to see what Martin was talking about until the yellow light became visible between the tree trunks. We were only a few hundred yards away, but I was surprised the creature hadn't already caught up to us. Even the trees in its way stood no chance at impeding it. It had almost caught up. I could feel the air pressure from its massive body charging through the trees behind, close enough that at any moment I might feel its claws cleave my body into pieces. A saving grace. Coming up on our left was a dense patch of old oak trees. I swerved towards them leaping through the spaces between trunks, just large enough for us to get through. I hit the ground rolling sideways. There wasn't even time to be dazed as an immense slam sounded from where we had just been. I scrambled backwards, looking to see a great arm slinking through the gap. It was thick, but not as thick as the oaks. The claws tapped about, searching blindly for our frail bodies. Go, I shouted, and the both of us shot to our feet and bolted towards the light. As we ran, the sounds grew distant. Was it stunned or did it still think that we were behind those trees? I didn't care. All that mattered was being inside and not out. Gravel clattered against the front of the house as we skidded to a stop. I rapped on the door, devolving into pounding when they went unheard. On what was probably the 20th knock, my fist met only air, and I stumbled in through the now open doorway. I looked up to meet Grandpa's gaze. His eyes were wild, he didn't look like himself. He glanced behind me at Martin and then behind him. Whatever he saw out there, his pupils contracted in response. Hurry boys, get inside, he whisper shouted. We filed in and he went to bolt the door but hesitated. His hand fell limply. Eh, no use. He was right. If the beast wanted to pay a visit, it would do so regardless of our home security. We followed him quietly to an uncovered floor hatch. What's this, Mr. Barnett? Martin asked regarding the hatch. Huh? Oh, this here is my old wine cellar. Martin went to ask further questions before being interrupted. 
Nah, get down the ladder for his son. You can shoot your questions once we're safe. He pulled on a handle, opening the hatch to reveal a sturdy wooden ladder that led into a dim space beneath. One by one, we clambered down its dusty rungs, meeting the cold concrete floor at the bottom. Grandpa was last, tugging a heavy rug over the open hatch, before closing and securing it. I take it you've seen the thing right. Jesus, Granddad, we barely got away, I said, still out of breath from our escape. Unscathed? Yeah, mostly, other than some scratches. Good. He walked over to an upturned crate and plopped down onto it. Martin and I looked between each other and then back at him. Ah, uh, well, Martin said. You seem to know what we're dealing with, so what is it? Grandpa gave Martin a scowl of disapproval, quickly relenting into understanding. I would scrutinize you and your manners, boy, but now ain't the time. He released a tired gasp, letting his head drop down before inhaling sharply and looking back up at us. I've seen it only once before in my varsity years. I had some Danish friends on my course who said that I should come and visit them over there, go and do some backpacking in their home country. Beautiful landscapes over in Denmark, really. Peaks rising out of the trees, you know. Before he could lose himself in a daydream, I cleared my throat to bring him back to reality. Oh, right. So we were pretty deep in the woods when it happened. We had all gotten paranoid because we thought something was following us. Something big, an elk maybe. But we never saw nothing, only heard it. And then God, one of the girls in front of me started to, um, levitate. I don't know, she was rising up off the ground, gripped by something. Whatever it was, it made a mess from her. Crunched her up like a meatball being squeezed. And I saw it then. Curved bones wrapped around her, stabbing in deep. I ain't never gonna forget the sight of it. It's like a stain on my mind. We saw the same thing, Martin piped up. Only it was a deer. It looked like it sucked everything out of it when it was done. Yeah, I can't say I know how it works. You can only see it if you know something's there. If it's there. Anyway, we ran as fast as we could back down the trail and we had seemed to lose it. The whole time there was this rancid stink though. Eggy and earthy. Ugh. We wound up back in the town that we had started from went straight to the police station and reported it. Apparently all they found was a little chunk of meat, a piece of thigh or something like that. One of the other guys told me about the tale later on. He brought up the smoke that we saw rising out of the forest when we were back in the town. An old Danish legend went that people through history seen smoke columns in the woods, and most of them who went to check and never returned. They said it would move around, not like how a fire would spread, but like it was wandering to and fro. That's a horrible story, Grandpa, I said. It doesn't help us figure out what it is, though. We already know the stuff that you've just told us. Well, I'm sure it's got many names, seeing how it can just pop up where it likes. But I only ever heard it called the Scorstender. It means chimney beast if I'm remembering it right. That makes sense. We thought that we were seeing the smoke from your chimney, but it led us right to it. Kel, Grandpa sighed. 
This house ain't even got a chimney. Martin looked over to me scoffing and then back over to Grandpa. So it lures people in like that. Sure, but I don't think it means to. I'm gonna take a gander and say it started up with the fumes after it ate that deer. Yeah, I replied. Whatever that thing is, it ain't from here. It ain't from anywhere on the planet, I think. It eats something and then it starts giving off smoke. Waste product from digesting, I would guess. So, poop gas, Martin chuckled. He always was able to find a way to lighten the mood in dire situations, even if just a little. I looked up at the monochrome ceiling above us, mulling over what Grandpa had said. I remembered how this whole thing had started, and I pulled on my phone to bring up my photos. And we found this after starting our way up to yours on foot. I have an inkling, but do you know what it is? And Grandpa squinted at the screen and then took it from my hand. Scroll to the right, that's only the head, I said. His silent focus was only punctured by the dull taps of his finger on the screen. Recognition lit up in his eyes, his head bobbing up and down. Well, I'll be... When to go right? I asked. Yup. I gotta say, never seen one around these parts before, but then again, I was never looking for one. I doubt you need it, but keep that as a reminder for what this beast is capable of. I put my phone back in my pocket, sighing and letting my chin drop into my hands. In any other situation, I'd be shocked to find out such a creature was real. But not now. This is all great, Mr. Barnett, Martin said with quivering uncertainty. But it doesn't help us. What are we going to do? I mean, what can we do? I don't know. Well, I have a stupid idea, but it's only grasping its draws. Anything over sitting here and waiting to die. Martin breathed, staring off into space. Anything. Grandpa looked toward the basement window, the only source of natural light in the room. What little of it remained. Well, I was checking my traps out east from here about six and seven hundred yards into the woods. Only when I got there, there was this smudge. I don't know what to call it. But that's the best I can describe what it looked like. It was like looking into it. I couldn't register what I was looking at. It hurt my eyes after a while. Never seen nothing like it. It was after I had started seeing the score stender, so... He trailed off, like he was struggling to find the words to say. So what? I pressed, leaning forward in anticipation. Again, this is guesswork, but I think that's where it came out from. I threw a rock into it when I was there, but I ain't hear it hit the ground. It was like it went someplace else. If we can just lead it back there, just get it to go back in. Wait, hold on, I interrupted. I mean, shouldn't we call someone, police, the army? What do you think will happen to the cops when they come out here, huh? What's a chief and a rookie in one police car going to be able to put up against it? And good luck convincing U.S. military to send out marines. You'd be lucky if they thought it was a joke. I shut my mouth, swallowing my next words, allowing Grandpa to continue with his proposition. Either the beast leaves or we die. I'm not even going to talk about trying to drive away. You've seen what it does to the trees. 
Stealth might work, but it's better at that than we are, as big as it is. And I don't want to risk either of you losing your lives. His last remark sent a chill down my spine. He had said nothing explicitly, but I had already began to understand what he meant. Granddad, you. Oh, don't worry about me, champ. I got something, but you gotta listen closely, both of you. Martin and I set our full attention on him. I wanted to hear his plan, but I really hoped it was going to go a different way from what I was thinking. Now I want to make this clear before anything else. I'm going alone and you boys need to sit tight and do as I say. My heart dropped, plunging into the stone-cold sea of despair. Are you crazy? No, I have to go with you, I... Grandpa cut me off, shushing me. As I say, he commanded. I knew that he was right, but in the face of loss, my thoughts wrestled against the idea. Okay, now I'm gonna call you when I'm a ways off, alright? You have to pick up and stay on the call with me. It's vital that you keep your attention on my voice. I need both of you to be brave for the next part. I need you to make as much noise as you can. Martin's eyes bulged in fear. Won't they just get us killed? I haven't finished. That's only up until I call you. When I do, you shut up and you hide in the darkest corners of this cellar, okay? I was heaving for breath now, cold beads of sweat budding on my forehead, but I closed my eyes and stilled myself. Yeah, okay. Now good. Once we're connected, I'll start. We were silenced by a single muffled thump from overhead, so forceful that these seething spewed cement dust down on us. Then another thump and another and another. I fell off my perch in shock when a booming crash sounded from above, chased by the clattering of rubble. The steady thuds drew nearer, louder, until the only sound was that of the floorboards, groaning under immense weight. I looked over to Grandpa who looked over to me and whipped a finger to his lips. I nodded and then slowly turned towards the basement hatch. The beast was trying its best to move silently. A stifled whimper escaped my lungs as I saw the hatch buckle. A loud bang shook the house's foundation and then nothing. In the silence, I could make out the beast ticking growl. It was toying with us, trying to catch us out. Make us think that we had been foiled so we would burst out in a panic and try to flee. Its intelligence terrified me so much more than its grotesque appearance. It tried this bait a few more times before huffing angrily. The heavy creaks grew distant until we could no longer hear it, aside from the single crash of a fallen tree somewhere outside. I stood up eager to set this plan into motion, only to be dragged back down by a firm grip on my arms. My eyes fell to meet my grandpa's, looking at me with a wide-eyed scowl. Sit down, he hissed. Not yet, the thing's clever. It's probably waiting at the tree line watching for us to come out. The three of us sat in silence, ears attuned for even the slightest noise to indicate its presence. After an excruciating wait, Grandpa rose to his feet and crept over to the ladder. He scaled it, wincing at the creak of a rung, and then pushed open the hatch ever so slowly. The rug that had been above us was tattered, 
torn fragments of slipping down into the now open space. He peeked out from side to side, checking rigorously that we were safe. As he pressed his hand upward, what sounded like a broken tile was disturbed, clattering to the floor above us. Grandpa froze in place, visibly tensing. There was a heavy step, followed by a guttural rattle that I prayed to God I wouldn't hear forced Grandpa into action. He pushed himself off of the ladder, tucking and rolling to the floor, right before the hatch was slammed by immense force, cracking it and warping the hinges. Grandpa shot to his feet, adrenaline far outpacing his old age. He glanced around wildly at the floor, before looking up at us with a newfound determination. The change of plans. Martin, distracted, make some noise. Cal, give me a leg up to the window. Martin's jaw fell open and his breathing quickened. Oh God, he yelped, pressing fingers into his temples. But to his credit, he turned toward the hatch and started up a racket straight after. Come and get it. I'm right here, you idiot. While Martin was busy yelling at the chimney beast, Grandpa and I hurried over to the window and braced myself in a kneel, fingers locked together forming a foothold, where he planted a foot. One, two, three. I heaped him up, holding my posture while he unlatched and swung the window open. My body was already tired from running away, and Grandpa was heavier than he looked. But still, I hauled him up further until he was out past the waist, and he pulled himself out into the hazy night. I kept my focus on him as he turned around, refusing the urge to look as I heard claws cleaving away ravenously. All right, I'll be calling in a minute, he panted, and when I do, tell Martin to zip. I love you, bud. You too, granddad. My words latched onto him, fueling a forgotten instinct that slammed his heels into the forest floor and sent him sprinting into the trees fading until he was merged with the darkness itself. I was grounded again when Martin let out a shriek, and I turned to see him backpedaling from those spindly claws extending through the jagged hole that was once the hatch. A thick trail of blood is smeared from him as he shuffled back, the same crimson that slicked one of the titanic claws. It got me, oh God, it hurts, he cried, flipping over and resorting to a belly crawl towards me. I rushed over and dragged him as far away as I could, but he flopped to the floor in shock when I released my grab. His calf was a mess of exposed and glistening flesh and bone, sliced through like warm butter. His mouth hung half open but without a sound, so I rushed to build a cacophony in his place. As booming as I tried to make myself sound, I devolved into whimpering shouts. The beast's arm had reached almost halfway across the room, yet still it slithered further and further through the broken hatch, claws ticking around in search of our flesh. Backed up into the furthest corner alongside Martin, the monstrous hand grew closer, slowly, agonizingly so. I only became aware of the incoming call from the vibration in my jacket pocket. It felt as if somehow safety lay in the act of answering my grandpa's call. My hand shot into my pocket and yanked the phone out, fumbling with the touchscreen and picking it up. Granddad, it's so close it's about to get us. Do something, please. I wailed into my phone. 
Instead of a reply, a loud crack rang through the night and then the phone. The beast's arm lurched backwards, freezing for a moment, before it tore out from the basement, peppering the floor with wood fragments. As simple as sound it was, I recognized it. His black hawk. He had taken it with him. I don't know when he picked it up, he may have had it on him the entire time. Out the window I saw the hulking silhouette barrel into the trees at speeds, rivaling my jeep in fifth. I jumped when I heard Grandpa abruptly begin shouting over the call. The words were indiscernible, blending in with these scuffed sounds of movement. I took the moment to take off my jacket, and then my t-shirt which I pulled tightly around Martin's upper calf as a tourniquet. Hey, Cal. Grandpa said over the phone, sounding hollow and tinny. I let out a half-hearted chuckle. I will. I want to go hiking through these woods with you, camping, surviving off of the hunt. I know you do. My God, I do too. He said, stifling a sob. You're gonna have to stay strong for your ma, okay? There ain't no chance I'm getting out this time. But you, you two are. I broke down then, the thick watery streams aligning my cheeks. I'm going to miss you so, so much, Granddad. Aye, but we had some good times. Amazing times, didn't we? I sure as hell did. And wow, this is a pretty badass way to go out, right? An unfamiliar comfort swelled up inside me, almost breaking through the tears. Yeah. Alright, I'm here. The smudge. No idea what I'll find through there. I could hear the thundering beast across the call as it gained on him. It's clicks and rattles too. I'm going in. Promise me one thing though. Anything, Granddad. You be a good kid and make my daughter proud. That's all. A bizarre noise came from the phone speaker, something akin to the sound of a stone sliding across a frozen lake, followed by a splash that seemed to kill all the noise. That dead silence was broken when a shuddering voice spoke again through the phone. What the? Where are you? I yelled, pleading for any small morsel of information that he could provide. I don't know, it's... Uh, I'm in a pipe, I think. Some kind of glass tube. I can see everything outside, it's all there all at once. There's more of these tubes, so many more. They're branching and splitting, but... The connection got progressively weaker as he talked, jittering and buzzing in my ears. I'm heading down this tube now and there. There's central one, but it's huge, enormous. No, I don't think it's the central. In the distance, there's so many. What is this place? My exhausted brain couldn't fathom a single thing to say. I just listened, almost as confused as he was. He was cut off by a tremendous splash, but the sound quality at this point made it sound more like a roar. I could only hear his whimpers until that hissing trill crawled its way under my skin once more. It melted with the audio glitches, but then I heard something that I never could have expected, even after seeing what I had seen. It sounded as if the creature was stuttering, clearing its throat before. Exalted, be 
It spoke. The unearthly nightmare beast had spoken. Its words were jarring like it was repeating after someone teaching it how to talk, broken by animalistic clicks and hisses. Grandpa screamed but the call lost connection completely and it drew out as a high sine wave tone. My hand acted on its own accord and loosened its grip, sending the phone clattering to the floor. By the time that I had crouched down to grab it, only my home screen greeted me as I pressed the home button. Call failed. I looked down to Martin and he was out cold but breathing. The bleeding had died down but he needed urgent treatment. Even so, I fell to the floor, back slouched up against the cold concrete wall, and decided to wait it out until sunrise. I was certain that Grandpa's plan worked, but just the slightest uncertainty held me in place. The adrenaline was beginning to wear off. My limbs ached, head thumping. I fought against my eyelids, but they felt as if dragged down by anchors. All light vanished, and I faded into sleep. I woke to heat on my face and a red-orange blur. I opened my eyes, grimacing at the rays of sunlight that poured through the destroyed basement hatch directly onto my face. Any notions of a simple nightmare were shattered. Martin. I rolled over on my side, seeing him laying a few feet away. Thank God he was still breathing. The blood coating the skin on his left leg was dried and crusted but a small amount of it still seeped from his mangled limb. I chose to let him rest while I turned to the broken ladder, hauling myself up what remained of its rungs and out into the house, what remained of it at least. Utter devastation. I do not exaggerate when I say that almost the entire front portion of the house was gone. Wooden beams jutted out from piles of rubble and dust, but all was still. Unlike the day prior, birdsong weaved throughout the woods and into the ruins. I recall learning about how forest animals would go quiet when a predator is nearby, but I had been too on edge to notice until their sounds had returned. Still, subtle chills wormed their way up my spine. I felt safe, but I had also felt safe with Grandpa in the basement, until the attack. No smoke plumed from anywhere across the tree line, and no stench defiled my nose, but I couldn't shake it. I spent some time scrabbling around in the back half of the house that still stood. When quicker than expected, I found the keys to Grandpa's truck in the corner of the kitchen counter. I practically leaped down into the old wine cellar and then slowed my pace, gently shaking Martin until he stirred. He was groggy and confused. Don't worry, man, I'm gonna get you home. I wrapped his left arm over my shoulder, supporting him to the ladder. It was tough getting him out, but I did, and we hobbled through the ruins to the truck. Driving faster than truly necessary, I swerved, slamming on the brakes when the fallen tree trunks came into view almost out of nowhere. The jolt shook Martin and he came to attention from the pain in his leg. I apologized for it but wasted no more time in getting out and helping Martin down from his seat. The stench of death was stronger in the air, the wendigo corpse festering nearby. It brought me back to the night before, the raw terror spawning paranoia within me that grew intense over the short walk between the truck and my jeep. 
I felt exposed and naked. We made it across the trees and into my jeep quickly, even with Martin's injury. Still, without any warning signs of the beast, my heart was drumming so hard that I could see my chest pulse. After a messy three-point turn, the wheel slipped, kicking up dust before we shot away down the track. We drove until reaching the small police station, where I flew out of the jeep and burst through its double doors. Perhaps a rash action in retrospect, but my mind was elsewhere. Before anything else, I had them call an ambulance for my friend, following by reporting a severe animal attack. When I was asked what had attacked us, I spat out, cougar. The officer grunted and I laid out the facts. Grandpa was gone, dragged away by our assailant. An ambulance arrived as soon thereafter to pick up Martin. The EMTs were visibly surprised by the laceration, but attended to him nonetheless. He had lost a fair bit of blood, but they quickly got him in stable condition at the nearest hospital, where he stayed for the next week. A search party banded together to look for Grandpa, but they found nothing, of course. I was questioned about the state of his house, but I think the trauma welling up in my eyes was the best defense that I could have had. No scorch marks on the rubble to indicate explosives, nothing. It's been a few years since this all happened and I've made it through the stages of grief in one piece. I would like to say that Grandpa lives on in my memory, but that wouldn't be entirely accurate to say. I can still remember him, our conversations, days out, the smell of his fireplace, all that. But no matter how hard I try, I can't remember what he looked like. That's to say there's only an imperceptible smudge where he once was in any pictures that I still have. I don't know where he ended up, some massive network of tubes, but I get the distinct impression that his grave lies somewhere else, in another place separate from this world. I'm eternally grateful for his sacrifice, yeah, but I can't help but think that this was only our lives that were saved from the Scorstender. Are there more of them or is it somehow able to relocate itself? Only my grandpa would have the answers, but yeah. Just in case, if you find yourself out in the wilderness and you see a steady plume of smoke rising from the trees, perhaps even smell the organic stench of digestion, it would be best to call off the occasion entirely. Once it's on to you, Ella, I only hope you're as lucky as we were on the day that my grandpa died. Gifting is a no-brainer this holiday season thanks to the unmatched comfort and style of MeUndies. From undies and bralettes to socks and loungewear, MeUndies has the perfect gift for yourself or anybody else on your list, even those hard-to-gift people. MeUndies has a holiday gift guide that makes it all super easy. I've had MeUndies for a while and they are still the most comfortable undies that I've ever worn. The fabric used is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. To stay festive during the Christmas season, MeUndies has new designs, such as Let's Chill and Snowflakes, along with many more. I have a pair of the Christmas light undies, and I've definitely received a compliment or two from Mrs. Creeps. 
Knock out your holiday shopping today and get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash MrCreeps. That's MeUndies.com slash MrCreeps for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. I took a drive late one night. What happened will haunt me for the rest of my life. Written by J.L. Goodwin, 1990. No, before I forget, man, I was wondering if you could help me with something. The cashier, an acne-riddled kid who looked to be in his late teens or early 20s, looked up from shoving the bag of potato chips, two sodas, and a pack of Lucky Strikes into a plastic bag. For a moment, he just stood there, seemingly frozen in mid-action, and then he finally answered, Yeah, what's up, man? I let out a barely perceptible sigh. I had been half afraid that I would be told to take a long walk off a short pier, to put it politely. Feeling relieved, I reached into my back pocket for what was there. You see, I seemed to have, well, sort of gotten lost out here. I decided to take a late night drive and ended up getting turned around on all these two-lane back roads. I unfolded the map and set it on the counter so that he and I could both see it before continuing. So I was hoping that you could point out on here roughly where we are, and more importantly, the way to get back to the main road. There was another long stretch of silence and then the kid began to laugh, softly at first and then louder. Dude, a paper map? He managed out between wheezes. Are you for real? What year do you think this is? 1993? For my part, I simply let out a resigned sigh. I had had a bad feeling that I would be getting this sort of reaction from someone his age and it looked like I had been proven correct. Can't say I didn't see it coming. He wiped tears from the corners of his eyes and looked at me. Seriously, bro, don't you have a GPS in your car or something? He asked. Immediately, I hooked a thumb over my shoulder, pointing at the glass entry door at the beige sedan sitting at the gas pumps. And not in a Honda Accord from 1979, I replied simply. As he looked behind me out the door, I could see that he wanted to make another quip, and probably something about how I should buy a newer car or something. Thankfully, though, he kept it to himself. Instead, he leaned over the map and, still chuckling softly to himself, began looking at it. A few moments later, he snapped his fingers. Ha, I still got it, he said proudly, and then pushed his finger down near the middle of the map and looked up at me. We're right about here, roughly six or seven miles outside of Placer. He leaned over the counter to see as he drew his finger away. Here? He nodded, and I pulled a pen out of my pocket, circling the area as a reminder once I left, and then examined the map further. Okay, so it seems that I could take more than a few roads to get back to Interstate 5, right? The kid nodded again, clearly already bored with the unusual interaction by the slightly annoyed look which had begun to cross his face. Sure, he said simply, and then placed my bag items on top of the map. And that'll be $14.50 for this and $28.50 for the gas. I reached into my pocket and pulled my wallet out, withdrawing three twenties and handing them to him. The register let out its trademark ding as it shot open, and he placed the bills in it before pulling out and handing me my change. Placing it and my wallet back into my pocket, 
I picked up the bag and folded the map back up. Thanks for the help, I said as I turned to head out the door. Yeah, no problem. I heard him mutter at me as I crossed to the front door and pushed it open. A small bell hung from the inside handle jangled as I stepped outside and the door swung shut behind me. The sounds of the refrigerators humming and the fluorescent lights softly buzzing was replaced by those of a summertime forest at night. Crickets and cicadas buzzed loudly in the grass around this door, almost overwhelming the buzzing sound of the lights over the palms. The sound of an owl hooting loudly echoed through the trees, followed by the loud call of what had to have been an owl. I inhaled the clean air before heading down the steps for my car. Pulling open the driver's door, I took one last look around before dropping into the driver's seat. So, did you find out where we are? Asked a voice from my passenger seat. For a split second, a wave of confusion and panic swept over me, and I spun in my seat. It was immediately replaced by a wave of embarrassment, amplified as my friend began to let out a deep laugh. Dude, were you in there that long that you forgot that I was out here waiting for you? Not wanting to admit that I had done just that, I shook my head. No, bro, not that, just dealing with the kid in there was a major headache. He nodded sympathetically. And Craig was one of my close friends. Ever since we had met each other, we had immediately clicked and had stuck with each other from that point on. And one thing that we both loved to do was take late night drives to nowhere, simply driving around with no destination in mind, listening to the radio and occasionally sharing a joint one of us would buy. This was the first time that we had ever gotten lost though. I reached into the bag, pulling out the bottle of Mr. Pibb and handing it to him. Here, I said simply, before pulling the lucky strikes out and chucking the rest into the back seat. Pulling the key from my pocket, I slid it into the ignition and turned it. The car's a buzzer sounding as the dash lights came on. A moment later, the inline four quietly rumbled to life with its traditional burble. Tearing open the packaging, I pulled a cigarette from the pack and stuck it into the corner of my mouth before reaching to push in the car's cigarette lighter. As I did, I shot a glance back towards the store, and I froze. A small shiver shot down my spine as I realized the kid was standing at the door and staring out at us. What was he doing? Craig caught my gaze and turned to look himself. Dude, what is his problem? I shook my head as the lighter popped back out, signaling that it was ready to use. I pushed the glowing red coil against the tip of the smoke for a moment until it was lit, and then I placed it back into its slot. I pulled it from my lips and exhaled a cloud of smoke before answering, feeling more than a bit unnerved. I don't know man, but honestly, that's more than a bit creepy. I shot one last glance. The kid hadn't even blinked once, he was just staring off with an off-putting intensity out the glass. Come on, let's get out of here, Craig said, echoing the thoughts swimming through my mind. I put the car into first gear and eased off the clutch the car beginning to roll forward. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw him turn and shoot the bird at the kid as we slid out from under the lights into the dark. Prick, I heard a mumble. I turned the car left and began heading back the way that we came. Well, the good thing is, yeah, I did find out where we are. I pulled the map from my pocket and handed it to my friend. 
I heard him fumbling for a moment and then a small flashlight clicked on as he aimed it at the map. Dude, how did we make it almost as far east as Placer? He asked with a slightly astonished tone. A longer drive than normal, I guess, I answered, rolling down my window to flick the ashes from my smoke out. I shot a glance at the analog clock on the dashboard. 2.45, it read. I let out a small sigh. Ah, great. Vanessa is likely worrying up a storm about us right now. And me especially. Never since we had started dating five years ago, my girlfriend had always been rather apprehensive about my habit of taking long late night drives when I couldn't sleep. She always feared that I would get into an accident either with another car, wrap my Honda around a tree, or hit an animal. Most of the time I would come home to find her sitting up and waiting for me, worry clearly etched into her beautiful sapphire eyes. I bit my lips slightly. Hey, do you think I should text Vanessa and let her know that we're okay? I asked Craig. I heard him let out a snort. Honestly, bro, no. I know the woman loves you to death and I'm happy that you care so much, but she's got to learn you know what you're doing. Plus, you do need your space. It's not healthy how much time you two spend together. I flicked the remnants of the cigarette out the window and let out a snort of my own. It's called being in love, dude, and you should try it sometime. I joked, causing him to let out a laugh. Nah, thanks, I enjoy being single too much. Shaking my head, I stared out the windshield as the headlights guided her way. I felt a slight sense of unease creep up on me as I watched the two-lane road stretch out before us. The moon in the sky almost completely blocked by the trees over our heads. I hadn't seen another car on the road for two hours at least. Well, what do you expect, Derek? You drove out into the boonies, there's only ghost towns out here. Why don't you try driving all the way to Idaho next time? Shaking my thoughts away, I fumbled in the center console for a moment before pulling out a mixtape. A bit of music would help me feel better. I pushed it into the car's cassette player and hit play. A moment later, the pounding bass and synths of Dance with the Deads, that house, began blasting from the speakers. Craig let out a whoop of excitement. Dude, yes, that's the kind of tunes we need for a drive like this. He rolled down the passenger window, sticking his head out the window to whoop and holler into the night. I shook my head, unable to keep from grinning at his antics. Friggin' goofball. The playful mood helped to settle my mind and I felt myself relax into the seat, the tension flowing out of my body and out the window. For a few minutes, that's how things went, the road stretching out ahead of us and then disappearing into the blackness behind us the music blasting off from the radio and the soft roar of the engine in the background. I shot another look at the backlit clock. Now it read at five minutes to three, and we should be at the highway in a minute. The thought released the last wisps of tension in my body and fumbled into the back seat for the bag, catching it with the tips of my fingers. I pulled my bottle of soda from it and holding the bottle to the steering wheel, I cracked the cap. I lifted it to my lips and took a swig taking my eyes off the road for a split second to tilt my head back. I looked back at the road and nearly spit it all out under the windshield, and the second that I had stopped looking, a figure had stepped out onto the road. Watch out! Jamming my feet on the brake and clutch as hard as I could. 
The rear wheels of the car locked up and the ear-piercing sound of squealing tires filled the cabin. To my horror, the tail end of the car began sliding out. No, 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 no. For a few seconds, the world around us became a blur of shapes and colors and I feared at any moment that we would smash into a tree or begin rolling. Thankfully, the car finally came to a stop with a screech of protest from the suspension. We were facing back the way that we had come. I could tell from the black lines in the road which had once been the rubber of my tires. I gripped the steering wheel with almost a death grip, my heart furiously pounding in my chest. My breast came in short, ragged gasps. There was no movement in the car for a few seconds before Craig reached forward and snapped the music off. Dude, what was that? He shouted at me, his face looking as pale as mine must be. I didn't say a word to him. Instead, I pulled up on the handbrake, ripped off my seatbelt, and practically kicked the door open. Stepping out onto the pavement, I stepped to the front of the car on unsteady legs until I was squarely in between the headlight beams. I looked around, first at the road ahead, then at the forest on either side. There was nothing there. What the? I turned and looked behind me over the roof of the car. The red glow of the taillights illuminated a few feet ahead, but beyond that, nothing but blackness. I turned again, looking out at the darkness beyond the branches. No movement disturbed the bushes and branches, and aside from the quiet hum of the car's engine, it was silent. I shook my head. Did, did I just imagine things? I shook it again. No, I know for a fact that I didn't hallucinate. There was someone there. The sound of the car door opening made me turn. Seeing Craig step out of the car, leaving the door open, he immediately came over to me. You have exactly 20 seconds to explain to me what the heck just happened before I lose it, bro, he exclaimed. For a second, I fought to find my voice and then I answered, Someone, dude, I'm not crazy. Somebody stepped out of the woods and out of the road. It looked like a chick. I thought that I was going to hit her. I realized that I had been holding in a breath and I let it out, trying desperately to get myself to relax. Craig gave me a confused look. Are you serious, man? I nodded. He pulled the flashlight that he had used to look at the map from his pocket and flicked it on, aiming it first at the tree line on one side of the road and then the other. After doing this a few times, he turned back to me. Well, whoever it was, they're not there anymore. His brow furrowed. But why would a chick be out here in the middle of nowhere? He muttered, more to himself than to me. I still answered. I don't know, man. It's freaking Josephine County. For as many good people live out here, there's also a bunch of weirdos. I heard my friend let out a snort of laughter in reply, but something had caught my attention. A feeling which had slammed into me with all the weight of a Peterbilt. The feeling of eyes boring into the back of my skull. I spun around, looking back towards the car and seeing nothing there. But the feeling remained and I didn't like it one bit. Especially when the feeling came again. This time from the direction that I had just been facing a moment ago. Realization dawned on me and I felt a shiver shoot up my spine along with the flicker of fear. Oh, crap, I whispered. Craig turned to look at me. What, he asked, 
seeing the look on my face. He repeated, What? I looked up at him, speaking with a bit of a weak voice. Let's get back in the car right now. He didn't argue, thankfully. He was already moving for the open passenger door and I matched his pace as the feeling of being watched intensified, as if someone were rapidly approaching from the woods. I broke first into a run and then a full-out sprint for the last ten feet, tearing at the door handle and practically launching myself into the driver's seat. Slamming the door closed behind me, I jammed down on the door lock, seeing Craig do the same. He turned to me, his face hidden in the dark, but his voice giving a perfect mental image of it. What the heck was that man? The tone of it gave away the fact that he had felt, even for the briefest of moments, the same feeling of dread and fear that I had had. You remember those videos of people driving on empty roads in the middle of the night, only to have somebody step out into the road and get them to stop? I asked. A sharp intake of breath came from the passenger seat before he answered, finishing my thought. And then a bunch of people sprint out of the woods trying to ambush them. Oh, heck no. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Time to get out of here. I released the parking brake, pulling on my seatbelt and jamming the car into first gear. The tires chirped as I hit the gas and a moment later, we were accelerating away. As we did, the feeling of being watched rapidly fell away to nothing, and I allowed myself to let out a relieved sigh. We drove in silence for another few minutes before I finally spoke again. I think we're in the clear, man. Craig let out a soft laugh. Thank God for that. I nodded and then reached for the soda which had fallen, wedging itself by the parking brake. Snatching it up, I uncapped it and took another swig the still cool liquid feeling amazing going down my throat. Recapping and dropping it behind me into the back seat, I let out a laugh of my own. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer Craig, but I think after this, I may take a bit of a break from late night drives for a while. This just got under my skin too much. For a few moments longer than I thought, there was nothing. And then he answered, As much as that sucks, bro, I can understand. No problem at all. I thought that I could detect a small tone of sadness in his voice, along with something else that I couldn't place. But then I heard him sit up straight. Hey Jake, he asked, a bit of a concerned tone now etched into it. Yeah? I heard him draw another breath. Shouldn't we be on the highway by now, or at least see the lights of passing cars? I hadn't been fully concentrating on anything except the next stretch of road and my headlights. But at his words, I jerked my head to look beyond them. He was right. The lights of cars and trucks flashing by on the freeway should be visible through the dark. I clearly remembered looking in my side view mirror as we had turned onto the road from the highway, seeing the ever-present white and red glows zipping by both ways at close to the same distance that we were now. That wasn't the case anymore. All I could see in front of us was darkness. Darkness in the woods on either side of the road. For a moment, I lifted my foot off the accelerator, letting the car slow down a little as my brain whirred. He's gotta be mistaken. I mean, I've gotta be mistaken. 
We just haven't gotten close enough yet to the highway. You know these old roads, Derek. They often end up longer than they first look. Feeling somewhat relieved by the thought, I said it out loud to Craig. He nodded, but I could tell that he wasn't completely convinced. And for that matter, as much as I repeated it mentally to myself, I couldn't completely convince myself either. It was as if seeing the woman step in the road had shaken me more than I had first thought. Pushing back down on the gas, I shifted into fourth gear and watched the speedometer flirt with 50 miles an hour. For a few minutes more, neither one of us saw anything as we drove in silence. And then Craig let out a cry. There, a light. For a moment, a surge of hope welled up inside me, and I craned over the steering wheel looking to see the highway. It was dashed as I saw it was only a streetlight, standing solitary guard on the side of the road like a sentry. Beneath it stood an old worn sign which seemed to have been shot as many times with both BB pellets and actual bullets. I slowed the car some as it came towards us so I could read it, and I felt a wave of confusion fall over me. Golden, two miles. What? Craig breathed out as he read the sign. It passed by us, the streetlight momentarily bathing the interior of the car in light and showing the confused, worried look on his face. How did we end up by Golden? Golden is a ghost town, one which attracts visitors every year to check out these standing buildings. It was a mining town which had a population of a few hundred people. But once the prospects dried up in the early to mid 20th century, it became the ghost town that it is today. Its biggest claim to fame nowadays was being featured on Ghost Adventures a few years back. Craig repeated his question, but I wasn't able to answer them. My thoughts were racing inside my head. There's no freaking way, Golden is miles to the north of Placer. There are no roads connecting the two areas from what I saw on the map. Not to mention, we've been driving in a straight line since leaving the gas station. I honestly don't know, man. I finally answered, my voice conveying how rattled I truly was. In the car's dark interior, I saw him put his head in his hands. I fumbled for my pack of cigarettes, pulling another one out with slightly unsteady fingers and pushing in the cigarette lighter. A moment later, the turnoff for the ghost town flashed by on the right. I saw the dark, hulking shape of the church's spire rising out of the dark for a moment, and then it was behind us. The lighter popped out and I pressed it to the smoke, lighting it and putting it back. I decided that I needed to try and calm the rising tension that was filling the car's interior. Look, however we ended up here, man, the fact is, we can't be far now from the highway. So let's just keep our wits about us. Keep calm and then we get back to my place. You, me, and Vanessa can have a good laugh over this. Sound good? I heard my friend take a deep breath and then let it out in a whoosh. Okay, yeah, that sounds like a plan. He let out a soft laugh and I felt him pat my shoulder. Thanks, Derek. You are seriously a good friend. I'm glad that I've got you. I nodded and then realized that he may not have been able to see it in the dark. No problem, man, I said. I looked at the clock. 3 a.m. Only five minutes had passed since I last looked at it. And yet it felt like it had been more than 30 Time seems different when you're stressed, 
For a few minutes, there was only darkness, and then a light appeared in the distance. Hey, there we go, I exclaimed. I waited to see the sign for the on-ramp appear, and I felt a shiver shoot up my spine as the sign for Golden flew by again. That's what? Craig didn't say anything, but I felt him stiffen in the passenger seat, showing that he had seen it as well. As the streetlight and sign disappeared behind us, a feeling began to creep up on me. Another shiver shot up my spine as I realized that it was the same feeling that I had had when we had gotten out of the car. The feeling of eyes on me. My eyes shifted to the blur of trees on either side of the car, but I saw no one there. The turnoff for the ghost town approached again. I heard Craig let out another deep breath. Derek, pull over please, he said simply. His voice was shaking and as much as I didn't want to stop, I did as he asked, pulling over just before the turnoff. He ripped his seatbelt off, shoving the door open and stepping out. I watched him stride to the front of the car and stand there for a minute. He seemed to start shaking for a bit, and I realized just how much this was getting to him. I unbuckled my seatbelt and reached for the door handle when I glanced at the clock and froze. The clock was still showing at 3am. The hands hadn't moved at all. A feeling of shock washed over me like a wave as it tapped with my fingers to see if it was merely stuck, but it refused to begin moving again. Okay, what the actual heck is going on? I whispered to myself. I reached into my pocket, fishing out my phone and turning on the screen. Like the clock, it too showed the time as 3am. The feeling of being watched began to intensify, and I glanced at Craig standing in the dark before looking down, beginning to type out a text to Vanessa. Hey baby girl, just wanted to let you know that Craig and I are okay. We're trying to get back to the highway, but we've gotten a bit turned around out here. Do me a favor and if I don't text you again in 15 minutes, text me back okay? I love you. I replaced the phone in my pocket. I knew that I should have been more honest, but I was beginning to feel a little freaked out about the weird situation. I didn't want to worry her any more than necessary, as it would make me start to freak out worse. Pushing open the door, I got out and walked around, stopping near the front right headlight. Dude, are you alright? I asked him after a moment. He didn't answer, but happily he seemed to have stopped shaking. I repeated my question. When he didn't answer my second and third calls, I began to feel the new sensation creep up on me, a potent mixture of dread and fear. Craig, dude, you're creeping me out. Please say something. He finally turned to look at me and in the semi-glow of the headlights, I saw that his face had gone a bit pale. He raised a finger and pointed as saying only a single word. Look. My eyes followed where he had gestured, and I began to feel like somebody had dumped a bucket of ice water over my head. The cigarette dangling from my lips fell from my mouth to the ground. Standing about 50 feet away just inside the tree line was a figure. It was drenched in gloom, but with a gasp, I realized it was the same woman who had nearly caused me to wreck. Oh, screw me sideways, man, I swallowed, finding my voice. 
We should, um, we should get back in the car, Craig. He nodded almost immediately. Uh, I think you might be right. He answered, his voice wavering. Not taking our eyes off the figure, we slowly backed up until we reached our respective doors and climbed in. I didn't even bother putting my seatbelt back on. I just jammed the gear shifter into first and I floored it. Dirt and gravel kicked out behind us and the car shot forward onto the road. This time, I didn't let up on the gas. I kept my foot down hard, the engine beginning to roar as I shifted into third and fourth. The speedometer reached to 60 as I shifted into fifth gear, the feeling of being watched intensifying with each passing second. I prayed that I would see something, anything ahead of us, an intersection, a house, a freaking out-of-use payphone, and then my blood turned to ice as a light appeared ahead of us, the exact same one as before with the sign underneath. My eyes flickered to the clock and terror shot through me as I saw it still was frozen at the same time. This isn't good, bro, Craig said from the passenger seat. I agreed with him, but I didn't say it out loud. I kept my foot to the floor, the speedometer now hitting 80. The turnoff appeared again and what I saw made me want to scream. The woman had gotten closer to the road and she wasn't alone anymore. Behind her, I saw others, the outlines of other people, dozens, possibly more. They all stood facing the road, watching us fly by, and then they disappeared into the rearview mirror. Jesus. I breathed out as the light and sign flashed by yet again. This time, the mass of people had gotten even closer to the road. The woman stood in front of them all, and for a split second, the headlights illuminated her. Another flash of ice shot through my veins as I saw the river of blood pouring down the front of her nightgown, one that looked to be decades old. What do we do? Craig asked me, his voice steady, yet filled with fear the same that I felt. I just shook my head. I don't know, man, was all that I could say. The streetlight began to appear again when I felt my phone vibrate in my pocket, causing me to nearly slam on the brakes in surprise. I fumbled in my pocket for it, seeing Craig look over at me. I texted Vanessa when we stopped. I told her to reply back in a few minutes. Now I think I'm going to tell her to call the cops or something. He didn't reply, instead turning to look out the windshield at the approaching light. Flicking my eyes from the phone screen to the road and back, I forced myself to not look at the turnoff as we zoomed past the light. I didn't want to see how close those ghosts or demons or whatever they were had gotten to the road. I flipped my finger, pushing away the lock screen and tapping on the messenger icon as the light began to appear once more. Vanessa's message automatically opened, and for a moment relief like I had never felt surged through me at the small bit of normalcy that I had in my grasp. I froze. I didn't even look up at the road. I couldn't. My eyes were locked on the single sentence, reading and rereading it. A wave of confusion passed over me, enough that I spoke aloud. The heck? Craig spoke up. What? What did she say? I didn't answer him. My mind was racing at a million miles an hour trying to understand, but it was like I was hitting a mental wall. I tried to think of something else as another thought came to me, but again the same block was coming to me. 
As it did, a new wave of fear began to rise up in me. One for an entirely new reason than the terrifying loop flying by outside. The speedometer now showed that we were doing 90, and then Craig spoke. Can I ask you a question, man? Ice filled every vein in my body, not at his question, but at his voice. It was different. Gone was the fear and tension that he had had not even a minute ago. Now he just sounded flat. No, not flat. I couldn't tell why, but the way that his tone was, it almost made me feel like he was smiling. Another shiver cascaded up my spine as I finally forced myself to answer, my mouth dry as cotton. What? He answered as we began to fly under the streetlight. Are you scared? For whatever reason, the question made me turn to look at him, just as the light whizzed over us. For a split second, the car's interior became illuminated again, my eyes locked with his. The light flew by. The turnoff appeared again and for a moment, my eyes flicked up to see that the woman was right next to the road, bathed completely in the headlights. I finally caught a glimpse of her face. And then I was screaming, my fingers tearing at the door handle as the car swerved to the right. I saw a tree flying towards the windshield. I didn't think. I just forced the door open and leapt out. The ground rapidly flew up to meet me. Darkness. I woke up in a hospital room, a bandage covering my head and one arm in a sling. My chest felt like it was on fire as well. The first thing that I saw was Vanessa who upon seeing me wake up burst into tears and wrapped her arm around me. A few moments later the doctor came in. He told me that I was a lucky man. Apparently I had gotten away with only a gash in my head requiring staples, severely bruised ribs and a broken arm. Shocking for having dove out of a car at what appeared to be tremendous speed, he said raising an eyebrow. And then he told me the police wanted to speak to me. He showed the men and two officers entered asking me many questions. I told them exactly what had happened well, except for two small details anyways. They appeared to take my account seriously and promised to look into it. We've had some reports similar to yours, sir. One of them answered tentatively, and then they told me how I had been found. How a father and a son who owned a gas station nearby had been out driving and had come across first my destroyed Honda, which had wrapped itself around a tree and then some, and then lying unconscious in the grassy ditch. Me. They didn't say who they had been, but I had a fair idea who they had been, at least the son anyways. That night was three months ago. I'd been at home resting and healing this entire time, and it's given me plenty of time to think, plenty of time to process everything. I try not to think about that night, about any of it. I feel like I'll go insane if I do. Especially after the police told me that they found nobody else at the scene of the wreck. Only the passenger door hanging open. But I've had to after receiving an email from an unknown address. One claiming to be the son, the kid that I saw in the gas station that night. He told me things. Things that his father told me he had seen for years that he didn't believe at all, until that night. 
When he looked out the door at my car, that's when he had frantically called his father. As I type this out, I feel myself beginning to violently shake. Remembering the woman's face, indeed it goes, as it flashed in the headlights. The look of horror plastered there as she frantically waved at me to get my attention. The same look the others must have had, remembering turning to look at Craig as the light flickered over, and seeing the smile on his face, a smile wider than any human beings could possibly be, filled with shark-like teeth as black eyes stared hungrily at me. The same shark-like smile the kid told me, he had been flashed as I pulled away. But mostly, I remember the single line of text that Vanessa sent me. What caused me to rack my brain, trying frantically to recall my friendship with the figure sitting opposite me, and horror filling me as I realized that I couldn't think of one single memory. What will keep me from ever taking late night drives again? The three words that will remain burned into my memory forever. Darling, who's Craig? Winter is here and for me that means struggling to find the right temperature when I sleep. I recently found a way to stay at the perfect temperature all night long using silver infused bedsheets by Miracle Maid that were inspired by NASA. Miracle Maid sheets with silver infusion prevent up to 99.7 of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. They also are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get better sleep every night. Miracle sheets are the perfect gift for your spouse, friends, or family. Who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious feeling bed sheets? And since these come with three free towels, you get two gifts in one, just in time for the holidays. Go to trymiracle.com slash mrcreeps to try today or gift it to somebody special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40% and if you use our promo Mr. Creeps at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made and go to trymiracle.com slash mrcreeps and use the code mrcreeps to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash mrcreeps to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. Last Thanksgiving, my family pretended that I didn't exist. Written by Trash Tia. Video games were strange places to hide notes. I was sorting through my old collection of PS2 games, reminiscing on the classics when a scrappy piece of paper slipped from my copy of Kingdom Hearts. It had been neatly sandwiched behind the game itself, frozen in time. A folded crease splitting it in half. The corners were chewed. Kingdom Hearts was my favorite game as a little kid. We couldn't afford the consoles my friends were playing at school, but a PlayStation 2 was good enough for me. I didn't recognize the handwriting clumsily written in bright green marker, but what I guessed was a preschooler. Siri, it's my turn to play. 
give me the controller now or I'm telling mommy you're being a noodle head. Noah. P.S. You have five seconds here. The bomb will explode. Cute. The note felt strange in my hands. Familiar and also not. I don't know what it was about this piece of paper, but just holding it made me feel almost hollow. A suffocating feeling slamming into me like waves of ice water. Loneliness. Suddenly, it felt like I was alone in the world and always had been. My bedroom was too small, closing in on me. I choked out several breaths to get a hold of myself, squeezing the paper between my fingers. Why did I feel like I knew this writing? I didn't just know it. It felt like a part of me had been cruelly torn away, a piece of me I didn't know existed. And seeing these childish squiggles brought it back. Letting the note slip through my fingers, I shuffled back on my bed and my stomach twisting. I didn't have a sibling, but that was definitely my name written in a stranger's writing. Sari, are you ready? Mom's voice came from downstairs. I had forgotten that I had gone upstairs to grab a pile of games to take to the thrift store. Without thinking, I scooped up the rest of the pile leaving Kingdom Hearts and the notes on the floor. I dumped them in my backpack and before I could stop myself, I slipped the note into my jeans. There was probably an explanation. Mom had friends with kids, so it was probably some random kid that I had been playing with. Was it normal to forget or suppress them though? I had memories of solo playing Kingdom Hearts. That thought in particular twisted my gut and I felt nauseous all the way to the thrift store. I wasn't surprised when mom insisted on milkshakes at the diner. She even got my favorite, double fudge brownie with extra whipped cream. But I wasn't stupid. I may have been easily blackmailed as a little kid with sweet treats. Now, however, I preferred cash. I knew what this talk was about. Thanksgiving dinner at grandma's. Mom had been playing around the subject for a while now, casually mentioning it over dinner or when I was half asleep, spooning cereal into my mouth before school. I was in quiet about my disdain for grandma's house. Located in the middle of nowhere, my Grammy's house reminded me more of Dracula's castle. There were too many rooms to get lost in, doors that led down hallways that reminded me of The Shining, and everything was frozen in the mid-1900s. Mom offered to renovate the house, but apparently Grammy was comfortable living like she was reliving the Spanish flu. I wouldn't have hated it so much if her house of horrors was actually interesting, but I wasn't allowed to explore. I had to stay in the lounge and freeze to death while the adults got tipsy on cocktails. Grandma repeatedly asking me if I wanted more candy. The year before was painfully boring. Grammy refused to turn the heating on, expecting her tiny fireplace to actually generate heat around the house. I spent the whole time that year curled up in a chair playing on my Switch, which died halfway through dinner. I brought my charger, but none of the outlets were working, of course. Grammy didn't have a TV, only an ancient radio that didn't even have a touchscreen. She did have an ancient games console but there was no TV to connect it to. Thanksgiving was for family get-togethers, but in the Eaton household, it was more of an adult thing. 
I had no doubt that Thanksgiving 2022 was going to be just as insufferable. I had been hoping to use the I'm almost 18 excuse, but mom was winning me over with surprise shakes. This shake was as sickly as I had remembered. I downed half of it, sure that I was going to projectile whipping cream everywhere. The diner was our special place. Even the booth was ours. Ever since I was a kid, it was always the second booth from the door. I sat by the window, mom opposite me. I found my gaze wandering. The seat next to mom felt too empty, like somebody was supposed to be sitting there. There was that feeling again, a loneliness that I didn't understand. It was always just me and mom. So why were my eyes stinging? Siri. Mom's voice tore me from my thoughts. I had been absently staring at the seat next to mine. I had a vague memory of being cramped up and squashed into the window. I looked up, downing the remnants of my milkshake to choke the question slowly taking form in the back of my throat. Yes? I swiped cream from my lips and fixed my mom with my best smile. I'll come to grandma's for Thanksgiving dinner. Mom's expression crumpled. How? You conveniently bought me my favorite shake the day before Thanksgiving. I rolled my eyes when her lips broke out into a wide smile. It's not like I had a choice. Before she could burst from excitement, I pulled the note from my pocket and I smoothed it out in front of her. On one condition. I slurped up the last of my shake. In dangerous territory. I was going to bark if I kept downing the dregs of chocolate syrup sticking to the bottom of the glass. Can you tell me who wrote this? I don't think I had ever seen her go that pale before. Mom's expression crumpled, her lips twitched, like she might speak before she pulled her mouth into a wide smile. Leaning forward, she plucked up the note like it was poisonous and stuffed it into her coat pocket. I opened my mouth to protest, but she was already speaking, at first hesitantly, like Mom was unsure of her words. Siri, she cleared her throat, wrapping both hands around her mocha. Do you remember Jane? I shrugged, pulling my legs to my chest. Again, my gaze was wandering, like it was searching for something or someone. I rested my chin on my knees, trying to avoid eye contact with Mom. And Jane from Australia, I said. Your Facebook friend? Mom straightened up. Jane, she said, her tone hardening. Like I was supposed to remember someone who knew me as a baby. You remember Jane. She lived down the block and made your favorite cupcakes. Her smile was too wide when she reached for my hand, entangling our fingers. Red Velvet Cupcakes, Siri. You remember Jane. Mom's eyes were manic, lips stretched into a grin, like she was trying to convince not just me but also herself. To her credit though, there probably was a Jane. Mom had too many friends to count so, it made sense that this woman would slip through my memory. But still, I couldn't seem to tear my gaze from the seat next to her, my mind trying and failing to carve a figure out of nothing. I blinked. There was nobody there, so why was my subconscious telling me otherwise? I hadn't noticed until that moment, 
but both of us were playing a game that neither of us wanted to lose. I didn't believe her, and she knew that I wasn't buying it. Mom studied me like she could see right through me. I tore my gaze from the seat next to hers. I don't like red velvet, I said snapping out of it. Mom cocked her head. Since when? Birth. She dismissed my words with an eye roll. Anyway, I could see the mania alive in her eyes though. Panic and paranoia tearing her apart from the inside. I should have backed off, but it was mom's expression that sent shivers creeping down my spine. She wanted me to believe her words, each one slipping from her lips, dripping with desperation. She didn't just want me to believe them. Mom wanted to believe her own BS. Well, Jane from down the block. Jane with the bad haircut, you know Jane. She bobbed me on the head, still with that smile that was too wide. Mom had zero subtlety. She had a son who was the same age as you, his name. Mom cleared her throat, swiping at her eyes. She made it out like she was fixing her makeup, though I could have sworn that there were tears in her eyes. His name was Noah. Mom pulled out the note and waved it in my face, though I noticed that she was gripping it a little too hard. She slapped it on the table like she was putting the final card down, almost breathless, her smile widening. Mom was winning the game. I could hear her triumph in every word. You kids used to spend all day playing video games. Oh, Noah was a sweet child. He was always polite and stayed for dinner when his parents were at work. She swiped at her eyes again, her lip twitching like she was going to speak, but instead she stayed silent. Noah. The name felt right in my tongue like I knew it. Except why would I forget such a close childhood friend? Noah, I said. So that's who was writing me notes. He was more literate than you, she chuckled. Only a year older, while you were struggling to write your name, Noah could write full sentences. Jeez, I thought. Why didn't she just adopt this mysterious whiz kid and replace me? Oh, I said, dropping my legs. She was waiting for me to ask questions. I could sense the cogs turning on her brain. So, did we stop talking or something? Yes. She picked up the note, smoothing it down with her nails. I believe you just simply drifted apart. That doesn't make sense, I found myself saying. I snatched the note off of her before she could dispose of it. Why would he leave? Mom continued to sip coffee from a cup that I knew was empty, her gaze and never really finding mine. Instead, she was looking everywhere else but at me. Mom stared outside at the darkening sky, streaks of orange and yellow illuminating the horizon. I couldn't help being in awe of my mother's beauty. The kids at school were convinced she was my older sister. I inherited her light blonde hair, though on my mother every strand was perfectly in place, haloing her face. The late afternoon sun illuminated her face free of flaws. She really was beautiful. I was like a Walmart version. Oh, sorry, what was that, honey? Her tone was soft, almost whimsical. 
her eyes following fall leaves dancing across the sidewalk outside. I followed where she was really looking. Mom was watching a family of three loading groceries into their car. The parents were struggling with bags while their kids, a boy and a girl, ran after each other, splashing through puddles. Mom watched them, a sadness in her eyes that I didn't understand. Mom, I said with an edge to my tone. What? She took another dainty sip of coffee that wasn't real. I watched her drain her cup when we first sat down. He laughed. I said louder. I prodded the note that caught her attention. Mom whipped around to face me once more, her expression hardening. This kid who was supposedly my best friend just stopped talking to me one day. Something in her face twisted and I knew not to push further. She stood up and grabbed her bag, gesturing for me to follow. Children, especially young children, will grow out of friendships, she said coldly. Noah grew up. You both did. It is a completely natural and normal thing to happen. I found myself nodding and following mom out of the door, my chest clenching. I was paranoid watching the note in her clenched fist. I opened my mouth to ask her for it back. That little piece of paper was my only connection to a stranger in my life that had been torn away. Once we were outside and I was pulling my jacket around me, she was quick to rip it up and dropped it into a murky puddle. I felt something shatter inside of me, watching the note dissolve into nothing. Mom, I jumped forward to try and retrieve it, only for her to step in front of me. She was shaking. I noticed her hands balled into fists by her side. It's late, she said. Let's go home. My mom spoke in finality, and my arms drooped to my sides. My mother had a certain commanding tone that at times felt comforting, like she was dragging me back to reality. But in this case, mom was plunging me deeper into oblivion. Reality felt further and further away despite feeling the crunch of my shoes on rough tarmac and the ice-cold wind whipping my hair back. Part of me wanted to try and rescue the note, though from my mother's expression hard almost hollow, I bowed my head and followed her to the car. I felt breathless, like any counter words that I could come up with would be sucked away. I saw her eerie silence as a warning for me to drop it, and I did. I forgot about the note spending my evening helping her make cupcakes for grandma. I hugged her, wrapping my arms around her. It was better to admit defeat than walk on eggshells around her, especially on a holiday. Mom was the one who was more lenient with the rules after all. Previously, I wasn't even allowed electronics at Grandma's. And Grammy insisted on a traditional holiday dinner. Mom eventually let me bring my switch on the condition that it would be turned off when we were eating. Thanksgiving arrived and we got up early for the long car ride to Grandma's. I usually napped for the majority of the journey though it was too cold. Both car windows rolled down when slapping me in the face. Are we there yet? I joked. Ten minutes into our four-hour journey. We weren't even on the highway yet. Mom cranked the radio up, her and Dad singing along to 90s music that I vaguely knew, 
and I leaned back and closed my eyes. Motion sickness was my worst nightmare, especially on a road trip. I tried to read books on my phone, but my stomach really did not like that. I gulped down some water and then a can of soda to settle my gut. Both of them made me feel worse and by the time that we were on the highway, I was shuffling uncomfortably in my seat, well aware of my temperature slowly rising despite the ice cold wind in my face. Usually when I feel sick, I look for something to occupy my mind so I don't bother my parents. But my phone signal was dead, and there was only a certain amount of times that I could scroll through my photos and an offline Spotify playlist before I started to go insane. My hand started wandering, first picking at the battered leather seat and then delving in between them. I wasn't expecting to pinch something in what felt like a folded up piece of card. I glanced at the front seat. Mom and Dad were reminiscing their anniversary, nodding along to a 90s ballad. I took the opportunity to pull the card out from under my seat. It was a folded up piece of paper stuffed into half of a birthday card. There was a message written in smudged black pen. Unlike the notes that I had stupidly given to mom, which she had destroyed, this one looked recent, maybe a few years old. I dare you to tell mom Leonardo DiCapri's son has died. Maybe she'll turn the car around and we won't have to go see the Wicked Witch of the West. Noah. Siri. Mom's voice was too close. I could see her slowly turning around to check up on me. I jumped into action, stuffing the new note between my legs. Yeah, swallowing hard. I passed a smile on my face despite sour bile rising up my throat. My hands were shaking in my lap. Noah, my childhood friend, had somehow been inside our car, this time a teenage version. I clung onto the note as if she was going to rip it away from me again. Mom was lying to me. Noah wasn't a childhood friend. So who was he? Are you okay? Mom was frowning when I lifted my head. Sweetie, you look pale. Do you have car sickness? I couldn't help it. The words were in my mouth before I could swallow them down. I stuffed my hands down the seat once again, searching for more notes from this phantom stranger who wouldn't leave me alone, who was ripped from my every memory. My fingers did skim across something, though it wasn't a note. It was a pen, the same pen used to write the message, which meant this wasn't some little kid from when I was a preschooler. I didn't know when the pen had been used, it could have been the day before or two years before, and dad never cleaned the car so I was still finding McDonald's wrappers from 2020 stuffed in the back. Mom, I'm an only child, right? Her expression didn't waver this time. This again. I'm just asking. Of course you are, Siri. Mom twisted around in her seat. Is this about yesterday? She directed the conversation to dad, though I couldn't help notice his fingers had tightened around the wheel. This Siri found a note from one of the boys that she used to play with. You remember little Noah, right? Dad didn't reply for a moment, his gaze on the road. Mom lightly shoved him. Huh? His voice was gruff. Oh, yeah, Noah, I remember that kid. Dad laughed heartily. 
Sweetie, do you remember playing that game with him? Kingdom Hearts. I said through a breath. Yeah, the Disney one. You kids were obsessed. We tried to get you to play outside, but you insisted. One summer, we had to physically drag you outside. I wasn't buying it. So, me and this kid were close. Yeah, but all you did was sit inside and write to yourself. You had quite the imagination, you even. Dad drifted off when Mom and nudged him again. Harder. His sharp exhale of breath told me that her elbow had actually made a mark. I watched his fingers gripping at the wheel, white smudging his knuckles at the crease between his brows. Noah, he was a, a really great kid. Mom's smile made my stomach projectile into my throat. Her eyes were too wide, almost cartoon-like, like she was doing her almost to sway my thoughts, planting seeds in my mind. See, now why on earth would you think that you're not an only child? It's always been you, Siri. We only wanted one child, and that was you. I wanted to find sincerity in her eyes, but all I could see was slowly blossoming paranoia, fear twitching between her brows. Her gaze was on my clenched fingers, like she could sense the note. Eventually, she gave up. You were our first. Mom leaned back in her seat. And our last. I noticed her eagle eyes flash to the car mirror. And what have you got there? Nothing. I shoved the note in my pocket when she averted her gaze. Mom had eyes in the back of her head. I was only curious, I said, shrinking in my seat. I was with my parents. I was safe. I should have felt safe. So why did I feel like I was being driven into darkness? An unsettling feeling came over me and it wouldn't leave me alone. Mom didn't look like my mother anymore. More of a faceless shadow in the front seat. While dad was drowned out completely. The sun was too bright and I had a sudden overwhelming urge to jump out of the car. When mom chuckled and changed the subject to her and dad's jobs, I leaned my head back, squeezing my eyes shut, allowing the jerking movement of the car to calm me down. I had to concentrate. If I did have a sibling, why would I have forgot about them? And more so, why would my parents try to hide their existence? I didn't mean to actually fall asleep. I dreamed of trips to the diner with three shadowy faces that I couldn't make out, and mom. And this time, I was squashed against the window, though I felt comforted by the silhouette next to me. I shoved them and they shoved me back, snatching my straw from my drink. But the figure did not have a face, neither did the one opposite of me. They existed as carvings of figures of footprints in the snow. Mom, however, did have a face. Her lips were moving, but her voice was drowned out. She was talking to the shadow man next to me, and I could hear phantom laughter that sounded both real and not, a voice trying to force its way through the barrier in my mind. Hey! My voice was real, enveloping theirs. Mom, mommy, I don't want... One figure lunged across the table, this time grabbing my shake and pretending to drink it. I tried to look through the shadow, but there was nothing. Even its voice sounded wrong, like faded ocean waves. 
I was just staring into pooling darkness, a deep dark cavern where something used to be. Another memory hit me, this time I was in the back of dad's car. The windows were dark, the moon following me through the window, bobbing through illuminated clouds. What did I tell you? Mom's voice was loud. I was squashed between two figures again. Neither of them moved. Siri, give me the pen. Mom's voice swam in and out of clarity. Honestly, how old are you? I'm so tired of this. Give me the pen now. Already I could sense my younger self shoving the pen down in the crease of the seat. What pen? My voice was giggly. I don't have a pen. Mom turned around so fast that I jumped back. For one fleeting moment, she did not have a face. Give me. The shadow with the voice reached out its long, spindly arm. The pen. I shook my head. What? Noah has it. The car jolted, the reflection of the moon dancing across the window. I blinked rapidly. The shadow with mom's voice turned back around, her voice breaking around the words. Siri, I don't know how many times I have to tell you this, but Noah is not. Before I knew what was happening, I was waking up with my head against the window, an embarrassing amount of drool pooling down my chin. The door opened suddenly and I jerked properly awake, reaching for the note stuffed in my lap. Mom's hands were gently shaking me. Hey, sweetie, we're here. I could only respond through a grunt jumping out of the car. My shoes landed in ankle-deep snow and I took a moment to groggily drink in my surroundings. It was lightly snowing, flakes dancing across my eyes and clinging to these strands of my hair. Grandma's house towered over us, a foreboding presence to it. There were no holiday lights or lights in general, so I had to use my phone flashlight, stumbling after my parents up the long, winding concrete steps and through the gate. And when we stepped through the door, I could see my breath in wisps of white. Can we please turn on the heating, I whispered, only for mom and dad to ignore me and head into the kitchen to greet grandma who was clanging around already making dinner. My grandma almost looked too good for her age. Her hair was held in a strict ponytail and just like my mother, not a strand was out of place. I was desperate for her skincare routine because when she saw us, her face lit up and her made up eyes brightened. Grandma was made of sunshine on the outside at least. She didn't look a day over 30, free of flaws, smooth, perfect skin, and silky hair that I was envious of. I couldn't wait to grow up and to be ID'd past my prime. I stood at the door grateful for the warm golden light filling the darkness of the house. Mom pulled out food that she had made at home, and Dad made several unfunny dad jokes, popping champagne and offering to help Granny with the food. I waited for Grandma to suffocate me in hugs and throw sweet treats in my face but she just continued talking to mom about her job. After a while, I started to feel invisible. I've applied to Berkeley, Grammy, I said out loud, only for her to speak right over me. Rude, but I figured she was excited to speak to my parents. And dad made drinks, coffee for him and mom and a sweet tea for grandma. I headed over to the faucet to make my own, 
but he shut the cupboard before I could grab a glass. Dad, I said, can I get a drink of soda? He didn't reply, laughing at the joke my mom made about his cooking. When I stepped in front of him and demanded a drink, his eyes didn't find me. Instead drifting past, his lips latched to his own coffee mug. I stepped back and pasted a smile on my face. Being blatantly ignored stung, but I could play the same game. Fine, I said, shooting mom the stink eye. She continued, downing her wine to smile splitting her lips. I'll go entertain myself in the dining room. Usually the rule was for me to stay out of the dining room until dinner. I waited for them to come back to life, warning me to stay out, but they kept talking, completely ignoring my announcement. So I strode past my mother intentionally knocking into her. She almost dropped her champagne glass, her fingers tightening around the rim. I waited for her to start yelling at me, though her eyes skimmed right past me. Mom, I said through a sharp breath. I thought it was a joke at first, some stupid joke between adults. Except this joke had been going on for too long. I situated myself in front of her, waving my arms. Mom, why are you ignoring me? It wasn't just ignorance. I quickly came to realize. My family had pretended that I didn't exist. I sat down with them for dinner at my usual place. I noticed there were more plates than needed at the table including one for me, which was ignored. There were only my parents and my grandma, but there were eight sets of plates and silverware. A glass was set in front of me, but it wasn't filled. When I reached to fill my own plate, since mom had seemingly forgotten my existence, the food was swiped from the table before I could wrap my hands around the potato salad. I tried to grab the gravy, same thing. Dad reached for it for his own dinner, ignoring my protests. When my family were eating, laughing and joking around, I sat back in my chair, frustrated tears stinging my eyes. I started to notice it in slight splinters at the corner of my eye. When I was glaring at my mother eating the last of the turkey and giggling over the rim of her glass, something next to me moved. A fork slid across the table daintily jumping into the air and hovering for a moment before dropping onto the floor. Mom definitely heard the loud clang, pausing and sipping wine from her glass. Dad stopped chewing, but Grandma stayed perfectly still. Her plate was still filled, as was her glass. I took the opportunity to stand up, making myself known. I picked up my own glass and dropped it onto the ground. What is going on? I demanded over the sound of shattering on the floor. Mom flinched and a shiver crept down my spine. Phantom bugs filling my mouth. Mom, I know that you can see me. Before I could stop myself, I strode over to her and snatched her wine, throwing it at the wall. But mom didn't even blink. Though her gaze snapped to me for a fraction of a second, her hands trembling in midair as if still holding her drink before dropping into her lap. Her reaction was enough, enough to make me feel invisible. It was like a barrier stood between us. Why are you doing this? I whispered. There was that feeling again, swamping me in cold ice water. Loneliness. I thought I didn't know or understand it, but the feeling of suffocating in my own bubble, cut off from the people around me, was familiar.
I knew the feeling of being ignored and it felt like a blunt knife being violently dragged down my spine. I slumped back into my seat when they continued talking. I know you can see me. The lights above flickered, mom flinching again. They don't want to see us, Noodlehead. The voice was both familiar and not, just like the note. Suddenly, it was as if a barrier I didn't know existed was pierced through. The voice slammed into me and I lifted my head. I exhaled and I could see my breath. The world continued around us, my parents talking and eating, while I found myself plunged into this unknown limbo between reality and something else entirely. The table was a lot fuller than I had remembered. The chair opposite me was occupied, a boy my age hiding behind a mess of blondish brown curls. Something acidic crept up my throat. There was something wrapped around him, frayed robe binding his arms to the chair, his body to the table. There wasn't just rope, there were chains, rusted and falling apart, pinning him to a seat. And glancing down, I saw shackles around his ankles, a loose chain running directly under the floor. This guy looked like he had been plucked directly from the past and yet also had the expression of a 21st century teenager. There were creases in his face that shouldn't exist, streaks of gray in his hair. His clothes, a jacket and jeans were hanging off of him, a skeletal figure drained of all life. He looked both 17 and 70, playful eyes almost mimicking those of a child. I knew his voice, mocking his younger self. I knew his rolled eyes, his brow raising into his hairline. Noah. I felt like I couldn't breathe, the breath dragged from my lungs. My brother. Three Thanksgivings ago, I was told not to look at him. I was told to ignore him. His ghostly voice hit me, a frightened cry. Siri, you can see me, right? Noah had slammed his hands on the table. Please, Siri, you know that I'm here. Look away, Siri, Mom had said calmly, ignoring his screams. And I did. And I forgot my own brother existed. It doesn't hurt. Another voice I knew, one that squeezed my heart. Sitting next to Noah, willowy blonde hair turned gray and lifeless was my little sister, Alex. I had forgot her four Thanksgivings ago, forced to turn away from my wailing sister screaming to be acknowledged, while phantom rope turned to real rope, coiling around her arms and snaking across her neck. And presently, Alex's hand was skeletal when she lifted it to wave. I could see the ugly rinds of skin, rugged and ancient. My sister was a year younger than me, 12 when I forgot her, and presently 15. Fifteen with yellowed teeth, her eyes sunken. I had siblings. Next to my father was Annalise, my older cousin, skin and bones. Her smile, though, was still sweet. I had a vague memory of my cousin following me around, begging with me to look at her. But I stared at the ground. Mom told me to look at my food instead. Annalise's restraints were the oldest. Her beautiful face haggard. You just don't remember it. I could feel myself moving back, a cry clawing in my throat. They were always there, shadows in the diner and squashed next to me in the car. How did I forget them? Mom! I knew she could hear me. I jumped up, only to be dragged back into my seat, 
phantom tendrils snaking around the back of my neck. I could sense them entwining around me, unearthly robe pinning me to the seat, and ghostly chains suffocating my screams. I choked on a shriek when the first layer of flesh was ripped from my arm, which was violently dragged behind me. A second layer and the pain was white hot, sending my thoughts into a whirlwind. Happy Thanksgiving. Mom spoke through a strain to smile and lifted her glass. When I was watching streaks of red pulling down my arm and spotting my plate, the skin on the backs of my hands were starting to fold and wrinkle. Mom's smile was directed at Grammy on the other side of the table. With the barrier breaking through, clarity was starting to bleed through. I didn't remember Grammy not having eyes. Her head bowed and shrouded in darkness. But I could hear her lips smacking together like she was eating. I called Alex wincing her lips forming a silent cry. Annalise squeezed her eyes shut and Noah tipped his head back, lips parting. Grammy was eating them, gnawing on them like fresh meat, stripping their flesh straight from the bone, sucking the life from their faces. Annalise's cheeks were sinking and turning gaunt. And... Mom tripped over her word when I felt the skin start to peel from my face. I could no longer feel pain, my body had become numb, but it wasn't a mercy. The more that I felt myself being stripped of my life, my mind, my thoughts started to turn to soup. I had to blink several times and remind myself of my name, but it was getting harder to string words together in my mouth. Happy 250th birthday, mother. The lights flickered and Noah let out a breath. I'm sorry, he said, when that phantom tumor continued eating away through me chewing through everything that I was. And Grammy has to eat. I couldn't move my arms, they were already shackled down. My limbs were numb, unresponsive. Oh wait, mom's voice was calm. She turned to my dad. Sweetie, could you go upstairs? This is new, Alex hummed, my brother agreeing with a low murmur. Dad's face turned ghostly white. But, he laughed, though it was choked. You said if we leave. I had never seen my dad look so scared. Mom didn't speak, but her expression was final. Dad's lip curled in disgust. He started to protest, only to shut his mouth. Still, though, he stood up and nodded, leaving the table. When he shut the door, Mom turned to Grammy. I didn't remember her not having eyes. She was still beautiful, youthful, and yet her eyes had been carved from her skull. With the barrier no longer there, I could see her for who she really was. Can I talk to my daughter, please? Mom asked the thing with Grammy's face. It nodded and slowly raised its hands to cover its eyes. Siri, Mom stood up slowly. She didn't move towards me or even look at me, but she did speak directly to me. And do not look at them, she said in a sharp breath. Don't touch them, don't speak their names or acknowledge them. Her gaze found each seat. Alex and then Noah and finally Annalise. Run, she said. There's an old phone box down the road. Tell them you need help and promise me you won't look back. When she lunged at me, part of me thought that she was going to attack me. Except her trembling arms were going around my neck. Squeezing me to her and then grasping for my restraints. 
promise me. She spoke through sobs that racked her chest. Don't look at them, don't say their names. But when you realize what you've thrown away, you have to use it. Her smile was bright and beautiful despite her skin flaking away. It runs in the family, Siri, remember that. When the ground rumbled and the thing that was my grandma lowered her hands from her eyes, my mother squeezed me tighter. I knew exactly what she meant. She didn't want me to forget them. Mom wanted me to save her children. I did not cry or scream when my mother started to wither away, her skin peeling and then melting from her bones when I jumped up on unsteady feet, grasping for my sister's chains and choking out her name. I was pulling my sister from the chair when mom dropped onto her knees in front of grandma and begged for forgiveness. Alex was already pulling a shaking looking Annalise to her feet and grandma let out an unearthly cry. The more of my family that I was freeing, mom was growing more haggard, her face sagging. My hands were on Noah's arms and pulling the ropes from his wrists when our mother dropped to the floor, crumbling into dust. Grandma stood up then, nothing but darkness hit him behind her pretty face. My hands were caught on Noah's wrists, struggling through a particular knot, when Grammy, whose hair turned white and then gray, opened her mouth, revealing razor-sharp teeth. Any day now, Noah has doubt. He twisted around. I'm going as fast as I can, I whispered. Siri, she's coming. I almost had it, but the knot binding his wrists together was stubborn. Grammy took a slow step, but just like mom, she was starting to crumble. Noah jumped up, pulling the chain from his wrist. He was free, and Grammy, or what was left of her, was gone. With her, she took the suffocating darkness and looking around at my siblings, whatever she had stripped from them was slowly starting to creep back. Noah's cheeks brightened, he looked his age again, the gray streaks and wrinkled skin making way for exactly what she took from him, from all of them, Granny and my mother. I think my Grammy was a god of a different world. That's what Alex hypothesized anyway. She said the adults in our family held a ritual every Thanksgiving, sacrificing a child's existence and using us to stay young. I hugged my sister, squeezing her to my chest. Her youth came back slowly, bleeding into her facial features. And we found Dad in the bathroom, a pile of dust and a newspaper. I think he was reading it. And did he know that freeing the other kids would mean his death? How old were my mother and father, and how long had they been using kids to sustain youth? And Noah told me that there were more. They still existed in the dining room, bound to chairs forgotten and lost in that horrific purgatory between life and death. He said, once you yourself lose your own name as well as everybody else, you will fade into non-existence. This story or experience does not have a happy ending. They may have freed my family from my Grammy's clutches, but somehow, they still don't technically exist. They do to me and they always will. But when I opened the door and stepped out into the snowstorm, my mother's instructions running through my head, I could no longer see my sister. Looking next to me, my brother and cousin had faded into the snowfall too. I stepped back into the house and there they were. The house still holds them there. It had shackled their souls and it will not let them go. There are still kids to be freed, kids still lost, nameless and alone. Only when we find them and pull them from their chains will I be able to take my siblings back home with me. 
it's like a barrier. They still exist inside this house while the real world has forgotten them. Once either of them step over the threshold, I get scared that they will fade away completely. But still, it's not all bad. I'm not leaving them and I'm going to find those kids. We're spending Thanksgiving together this year and we're planning our own ritual. Playing Kingdom Hearts all day and binging on snacks. Noah used to be so smug that he could clear the island in like 10 minutes. Traverse Town was his favorite level. I fully moved in and we're in the middle of renovating the house. I've managed to turn the outlets on. Grammy had them turned off and brought my laptop, as well as a bunch of things from storage that mom and dad threw away. Noah and Alex's things were stuffed deep into our garage, and we've been catching up on a lot. According to Annalise, our aunt had abandoned the family and her guilty of what she was doing. I'm currently researching the nameless god that feasts on children's existences. Noah found old records of an adoption in 2006. Mom's signature was on the paperwork. We have another brother. His name on the paperwork is Jordan, but so far Jordan is not working. He's here somewhere, I can sense him. Until I find our lost brother, I guess that I'll be staying here. It didn't take me long to regret being an only child. It's like living with children. Alex wears my clothes and Noah keeps trying to take over my research. Annalie is taking the role of house mom. I hate that they constantly leave a mess and blame me for being too boring. Alex's voice drives me crazy and Noah definitely thinks that he's the smart sibling. But at least I'm not lonely anymore. I'm not going to tell them this because they'll freak out. But I'm pretty sure that Grammy is across from me right now. She's sitting at her place at the table. And Grammy's smiling. Her rotten teeth are pulled into an ugly grin. Her melted face stretched and disfigured. Skeletal figures tap on the table, waiting for me to face my cruel reality. Mom wasn't lying when she said that I was her only child. I found a gray streak in my hair this morning, and part of me, the poisonous part of me, knows exactly how to get rid of it. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Wherever you may be in the world, I hope that you're staying safe and sound. And as always, stay creepy. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.